Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. I want to dive into um, what we've got today. We've been in our series called The Top Ten, going through the Ten Commandments and kind of a deep dive into the Ten Commandments. I hope you've got your handout or your app. Um, we're going to take notes as we go. There's a lot of notes today. Um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about in here is try to rem- remember that rules do not create relationships uh, they enable relationships. So um, when you look at the story of the Exodus, uh, God was uh, with the people of Israel, with the Jewish people um, in, uh, in uh, exile and in slavery in Egypt. He was with them at the Red Sea. Long before the Ten Commandments showed up, God was already solidifying a relationship with them. And yet when they got out, they didn't know how am I supposed to behave now? Like what is life supposed to look like? What is obedience to God supposed to be? And so God gave them the Ten Commandments. Um, and so I want you to make sure you write this down because I think when we hear commandments or rules, we tend to think negative, but these commandments are ancient rules for our modern joy. They are for our good. They are for our freedom. They are something that we get to praise God for. Uh, it's exciting. Now, a couple of things we have not covered about the Ten Commandments that I want to cover real quick. First one is these are a first step, not a finish line. They're a first step, not a finish line. In other words, in the in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, God would say, do not murder, okay? And so I know a lot of people in here, because next week we're going to cover that, and some of you are like, I can skip that one, I've killed nobody. But Jesus comes back later and says, hey, I need to take this a step further. That was the starting place, it's not the finish line. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, then you are guilty of this. And all God's people said, oh, no, because that's terrifying. And then you look back and it says, hey, there's a starting line. Do not commit adultery. Great. But Jesus in the New Testament will go, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But then he'll say, I also, I want to tell you that if you even look lustfully at a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. And so these rules are a starting place. They're not a finish line. The finish line is that God wants us to have the right heart of obedience before him. And so I want to make sure we get that. The second thing is that the commandments are actually split into two groups kind of thematically. Um, Jesus, when he is asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? He says this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's category one. Then two, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so the first through the fifth commandment is really about that vertical love for God. It is us learning to love God. And then six through 10 is about that horizontal expression of love towards other people. Now, some of you may look at this and go, wait a minute, we're on number five, and it says honor your father and mother. That feels an awful lot like a horizontal one, but I'm going to actually show you why this actually fits into the category of learning to love God first and foremost. Now, we're going to dive into this command, but before I do, can we acknowledge parenting is hard? Yes, because of the kids. Yeah, parenting is hard. Um, I, was, uh, I was born in 1975, so my childhood, my first 20 years of life was lived in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Anybody with me? Which means I had the unique experience for everybody that has been born after that, that we saw the Cowboys uh, win uh, and stuff. 
which was really cool. But it was a very different time. And there are stuff that my parents went through that they did, and there was stuff that was done to them. And some of it got repeated in my life, but some of it didn't. I was writing down some things that I thought were unique in my generation. You may know all about this, or you may be like, what is he talking about? Um, My dad, who happens to be here, and I don't need any commentary uh, from you, sir. My dad used to love to put peanuts in his soft drink. Anybody know anybody that did that? Those are what we call crazy people, because I don't get it at all. My mom used to eat cottage cheese as as a diet process. I looked up cottage cheese on Google this morning. This was the definition. A curdled milk product with soupy texture. I don't know what diet mom was trying to get on, but it did not work out. Um, I rode... I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. That is not how I meant that to come out. Um, I rode in the bed of my dad's pickup truck on the freeway. Like this was the thing that happened. My mom, when it was summertime especially, she'd say, you and me and my brother, my little sister wasn't born quite yet at this point in my life. She would say, you guys get out of the house and you can come back in when what? When the street lights come on. And you know what she knew about our whereabouts in that time? Nothing. Nothing. Um, mom, son, I remember this happening a couple of times in my life. Mom locked the house after we left so she could clean. I don't know if that would happen today. It was just a different thing. Did anybody else ever have your mom wash your mouth out with soap? Yep, I experienced that. I, my personal flavor preference is Irish Spring. That's, you know, anyway. <clears throat> I rode in the front seat of a car with my dad as a toddler without a car seat. And do you know what would happen back then if you were still too short to see what was happening? They put phone books under you. Because that's a safety device. This wasn't a thing in our home, but I have been around many grandparents who said, if your kid's gums are hurting and aching during teething, take peppermint schnapps and put them on their gums. Just little drunk children running around. I started driving when I was eight years old, sitting in my dad's lap. He worked the pedals and I worked everything else and we were fine. And then there's stuff that's done to your parents. Some of you guys have experienced this. Like when you're a parent, you have to do things you never thought you were going to have to do. Have you ever had to protect a rug or furniture from vomit? Have you ever had to examine poop? What I mean by that is your kid ate something they weren't supposed to eat. And you got to make sure it's not still rolling around in there. And so you got to kind of rake through the aftermath and make sure that it's got out. Have you ever woke up with a child staring at you? I do not like scary movies. My wife loves scary movies. She particularly likes a movie called The Shining. And when I, when we were young in our marriage, uh, Crystal would have Caitlin, our beloved daughter who betrayed me, sit in our room in the darkness 
and go, Red Rock. <laughs> As a parent, you learn some skills that you did not know before. For example, you know how to look at each one of your kids and tell them that you're, they're your favorite, and somehow it's true for all of them. There are things that you have to learn to say that you never thought would come out of your mouth. Like, for example, having to explain why we do not call strangers big head in public. <laughs> or say sentences like, we don't lick the house. <laughs> or, I'm going to be real transparent here, stop farting on each other. <laughs> don't act like that just happened in our house. Some of y'all held back your laughter. You're like, oh, we can't confess this right now. Some of y'all are still playing this game, and I know it. I say all this to say that parenting has challenges, and there's stuff that you learn, stuff that you pick up along the way, but it is a hard, hard job. And so the Bible's going to come alongside and give us some encouragement in this. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother. So that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The first thing I want us to just look at here is what does a culture of honor look like? I believe that a culture of honor blesses everyone in it. I believe if you live in a culture of honor, everybody is impacted by it. And if you want to know what does it look like to live in a culture without honor, I would just say look around. And too often people say, well, if, if we would get honorable people to do this and that, um, then everything would get better. And that's probably partially true. But can I tell you, there's probably another side of the, of the equation. Maybe if we started actually treating people with honor, then honorable people would step into spaces that, that we need them in desperately. We are called to honor. And the culture of honor is important. Why do they use parents as the example? And it's because oftentimes the closest relationships to us are the hardest ones to honor. Anybody ever have really hard time honoring in your marriage because things went really badly for a moment, for a season, for several years? One of the cool things about marriage is you get to learn all the awesome things about the other person. The other thing about marriage is that you learn all the worst things about the other person. Like we have this Hollywood depiction of marriage. I hate watching romantic comedies. Everybody wakes up in a romantic comedy and they have slept for 12 hours and they are camera ready the moment they wake up. And the first thing they do is this guy and girl lean towards each other and they go, I love you. And it's, I love you too. And then they kiss. And every time I go, this is disgusting. <laughs> first of all, ain't nobody in here woke up this morning camera ready. I guarantee you Larry Bickle did not wake up camera ready. <laughs> Larry's struggling to be camera ready right now, and he had time to get ready, okay? And, I, and listen, but also, if you are married, you know that the first words that you say to somebody, if you go, I love you, your first response is going to go, brush your teeth. <laughs> if you really love me, get that stank out of your breath. You learn all the good and all the bad stuff from people. When we're close to people, we see all the good and bad, and it can be difficult to honor but here's what I want us to hear. Parents are one of those relationships for all of us that are so close and often the biggest influence in our relationship to God. So if you're a, if you're a kid right now in this room thinking about your parents, I want you to think, man, those people in my life, they're going to have a huge impact in my relationship with God, good or bad. And if you're a parent right now and you have kids, I want you to just lock this in for the rest of our time. Is the influence you have in their life could be the greatest influence to whether or not they live a life of faith or not. 
That's why this is so, so important. See, what parents are designed to be is a temporary stand-in for God. We're designed to be uh, there in our kids' life at an early uh, part where we walk them through a growth and development process where we teach them the things that God wants them to learn, but it is a temporary thing. Not that we're not always their parents, but ultimately we are shifting their commitment, their allegiance fully onto God. And we need them to learn from us the things that will attach them to God, that we need them to learn authority. We need them to learn responsibility. We need them to learn right from wrong. We need them to learn what it means to be valued and loved and safe. And if we as parents screw this up, then the relationship of our kids to God often gets impacted in ways we never saw coming. In the last 100 years, there have been a lot of famous atheists, and they have two big things in common. The first one is they are famous atheists. I'm talking about people like Freud and Marx and Russell and Murray O'Hara and Nietzsche. Do you know what else they had in common? All of them had a horrible relationship with their dad. And it impacted how they saw God. The relationship with our parents is probably going to be the most impactful one in determining your view of God. If you had demanding parents that are very performance-based then you might have grown up thinking that God would never be satisfied with you. As a matter of fact, he may resent you. If you had parents that were unfaithful, they, they wrecked the relationship that they had with each other, you may grow up and think that I cannot trust God because the people that I love the most left. And so I can't count on God to be there in the most difficult times of my life. You may have an, an emotional or spiritually distant parent And especially when it's this emotional one, you get kids that grow up and they crave attention and they're looking for worth. And if they cannot find worth initially in their parents, they will find it anywhere they can find it. And they're just desperately looking for somebody to say, you did a good job because dad never did. And so I just want to pause for a moment because maybe you're here and you've had a messed up home life. Maybe it's worse than anything that I've said and you've dealt with abuse and all that other kind of thing. Can I just tell you as a brief pause here, we are here to help you. We have an entire system for our church on multiple layers to help people get into professional counseling, to get into regen, to get into counseling and coaching on some some different issues for short term. And we will help you not only get into it, we will help you pay for some of it. That's part of where our missional giving goes to. Because we want you to help get this corrected in your heart and in your mind because we know how how much it's going to impact your relationship to the Father. Now, As I continue here, I want to make the point that I made earlier is that this command is really about God. In the first five commands, there is a phrase that was repeated in all of the first five, and it's not repeated in six through ten. It is the phrase, the Lord your God. He's telling you who this commandment is about. If you go back and read what we read, it says... um, Honor your father and mother so that you may live, uh, have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That only appears in the first five commandments. It does not appear in six through ten. Because ultimately, our honoring our father and mother is about loving God and making the connection that parents were designed to make. That we're making the connection that parents were designed in God's beautiful design to make for our kids. That they would hear the words, I love you. They would hear the words, I'm proud of you. They would hear that you have a gift and a talent and a purpose that God has made you for. There are things that God says to his kids and they are given as a responsibility to be said through mom and dad first. 
so that they will know who he is and seek him. We want to teach them how to honor God's authority by teaching them how to honor our authority. Now, I've got good news, bad news when you think about this particular commandment. The first one is, um, if your parents weren't honorable, this is the good news. If your parents weren't honorable, you're probably sitting there going, this is impossible. I cannot honor my, my father and mother. Here's the good news that I have for you if that's who you are. Even if your parents were not honorable, this is really not about honoring them. It is about your relationship with God, and you can honor him. And then here's the bad news for parents. Parents, this verse is not a verse to be wielded as a weapon or a grand excuse as we parent our children. I know some of y'all came in. I, some of y'all probably went and got your kids out of kids' ministry and said, we're talking about the Come get in here. You want to listen to this. And you came in here like, Pastor, get them. Get them. And I get that. But this verse is not designed like that. Now, we know that it's going to be tested. How many of you have ever experienced a child with the disease of why? 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 Anybody annoyed yet? Why? 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 Like, that's the thing. And no matter how patient and no matter how amazing you are as a parent, there will be a moment that tests you where you say, because I said so! And so did God! Take it up with him. But that is not the intent. of how to use this passage. See, this command changes everything. It also includes, it changes how we discipline. I think it may say disciple in your notes, but it changes how we discipline. Let me explain what I mean by that. It means that we don't discipline based on the fact that we were disrespected or embarrassed. There are too many times parents are disciplining based on an emotional response to something that an immature child has done, which in and of itself is not mature for the adult. Instead of that, not basing our discipline on they've disrespected or embarrassed me, I want my discipline to be based on did I and am I teaching them God's authority in their life? Let me explain what I mean by that. Anybody ever have a kid that uh, said a bad word or a lie and you kind of heard them and then as a parent you want to make sure, even though you're 99% sure, you want to double down. So you go, what did you say? And then what do they immediately say? Nothing. I didn't say anything. And so what they do in that moment, don't miss this. You can go, well, that offends me as a parent. That you would be so, and embarrass me as a parent. That you would say that and be so disrespectful to me. When what we're supposed to do is recognize that the heart of that is to rebel against authority and hide in your sin. See, what you're supposed to pick up on in those moments is that they rebelled against authority and they are hiding in their sin. It's the very same thing that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. God came in and said, hey, where are you guys? And they were hiding. They had rebelled against his authority and they were hiding in their sin. Our discipline for our kids is designed to help them learn not to hide from God and not to reject his authority. That's my motivation. So if my kid steals something and then hides it in their room, my motivation isn't to let some sort of crazy anger flow out of me. It is to go, I need you to understand that hiding and rejecting authority is going to go bad for you. And I love you too much to let that happen. It's important that we understand all of this. They're learning to respond to God through learning how to respond to us. 
And gradually, the role of every parent is to shift the dependency of our children from being 100% on us to being 100% on God. And that leads us to a moment where they're always our kids, but we eventually release them to the life God's called them to. And i got to be honest, I'm in that season of life now. And it's terrifying. I want to just control all the things they do. I know parents that, that freak out because their kids want to go into ministry and their kids want to do other things that honor God, and that scares them. But can I tell you, we need to actually release those kids into whatever mission God has called them to. You can celebrate releasing your children, especially if, follow, if they're following God and making wise choices, because that was our job all along. That we honor, and kids honor their parents by recognizing their role from God and respecting it. Now, I know some of the questions that tend to come up when people say this, or we talk about this is, well, Jason, what if they don't deserve respect? I'm not asking you to condone anything that is wrong or sinful. We are not saying that you should allow abuse. We're simply saying is that you can, at the very least, respect the design and the intent that God created your parents for, even if they are not living in it at all. And, And recognizing that, you are honoring God. When you honor your parents, you honor the God who is behind your parents. Sometimes that can be difficult, but it is a great moment of honor for God. Other people might go, well, Jason, what if they're telling me to do something that is against God? And I would just reinforce this. Remember, obeying God is the ultimate point, not obeying mom and dad. We obviously want to obey mom and dad, but that's supposed to lead us to obeying God. Obeying God is the ultimate point. If you do that, if you obey God, you actually fulfill this command and you honor your parents by growing up and obeying God, even if they don't want you to. The other thing I want to tell you about this commandment is that it has a promise. And it's a pretty amazing promise. There's not any other command that has a specific promise attached to it, although there's clearly promises in our obedience to God. But it says, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I think a lot of times we read that almost like a threat, right? Honor your parents or die. As a matter of fact, if you think that, you kind of under, I mean, well, first of all, can I just say this? There's... We reiterate that in our culture all the time. Like we have sayings that we say as parents that kind of reiterate this threat. I brought you into this world and I can take you out, right? But here's what I want us to get, church. This verse is not a threat, it's a blessing. It's not a threat, it's a blessing. And there's a couple important things about this blessing that are very important. One, this is not a promise to one person. The Ten Commandments are given to the nation of Israel. They're giving to the whole of God's people. And they're teaching them something very, very important. That when you honor your mother and father, when you honor your family, the nation will thrive. So, If the nation is not thriving, we should at the very least ask the question, are we honoring our father and mother? Because if we are obeying God, the nation, he says, will thrive for the whole of us. We we see when it goes wrong, don't we? We We live in a culture now with more parents missing from homes than ever before in history. We have more people disenfranchised from their kids and from their parents. 
And can I be honest in the Christian world? Because we, 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 you know, hey, sometimes we have to step on toes and be honest here, don't we, church? Is that in the church world, the plague of the church world for moms and dads, but I'm going to lean in on dads real heavily here for a minute, is that the father that is in the life of your children is passive. And God's called you to something different. And I will be honest with you, I've gone through seasons in my life where I was a passive father. So if you're there, I want you to know that I understand what it's like to be there, but I would also tell you, you don't have to stay there. God can redeem that and God can change it. So this is not just a promise for one person. The second thing I want us to catch from this promise is that family is foundational to biblical community. It is an absolute essential in biblical community to have family be a part of it. So much so that in the next chapter, Moses, um, <coughs> excuse me, in Exodus 21, 17 says, rebel towards your parents is punishable by death. How many of you would not have made it out of middle school? Yes. And what he's trying to help us understand is that the community of God's people saw an assault on a family as an assault on the community. So if you see a family that is under attack, you need to see it as the body of Christ is under attack. When you see the home under attack, we need to see that the people of God are under attack. Because when we see it as an attack, we respond as an attack. We fight back. So it's important that we understand what this looks like. God says to honor your parents, honor your father and mother, because in the family, he's going to teach us about himself. And in that process, it will change the world. Let's move on in your notes. It says this. Honoring our parents is where we first learn the power of submission. Now, the words power of submission sounds like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. It's what that sounds like. Because we see submission as lacking or giving up power. That's how we see submission. But the Bible teaches that submission is power unchained from selfishness. That submission is power unchained from selfishness. Anyone here want to claim that Jesus was weak? Good, nobody. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus walked on water. He talked to the weather and it obeyed him. He healed blind people. He called dead people out of their own tombs. He took on demonic spirits and demons and they fled in fear. And when he was killed, he walked out of his own grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. That is not weakness, that is power. And I want you to see where he gets it from. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. That word for that is submission. The resurrection power, that's what it says. I was able to, able to uh, excuse me, um, was able to save him from death. What he's saying is resurrection power was a result of submission to the authority of the Father. Jesus' submission did not make him less powerful. Jesus' submission made him all powerful. And we're called to the same thing in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. 
Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he, what, church? He humbled himself by becoming obedient, submitting to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul will go on in Philippians to say that in doing so, he ended up having the name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is power. Now, here's the problem. Our default setting is power enslaved to selfishness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the Bible says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea. Like listen to those words, fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, rule. Those are power words. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls upon the earth, God delegates power to us. The problem is that that power was enslaved to selfishness, and when you operate with your power enslaved to selfishness, you do not use it to accomplish the great calling of God. You use it to accomplish our small, sinful, selfish purposes instead of His. See, I want you to write a couple of things about power enslaved to selfishness. The first one is power enslaved to selfishness produces pain. If you've been in a marriage, if you've been in a home where you have been deeply wounded, I will tell you that what you experienced is power enslaved. To selfishness. It's someone's selfish desire and unwilling to see the needs of other people that led you to those wounds. At the same time, power enslaved to selfishness reduces our power. You might be sitting here going, Jason, I have the power to go 160 miles an hour down a street in an active school zone. And I would go, yep, but that power is not going to last you long. When we use our power for sinful, selfish purposes, it actually begins to restrict God's power and influence in our life. When we do it for selfish purposes, we restrict God's influence in our life. Let me give you an example. Does anybody, and don't point at them, does anybody in here know somebody who is a constant critic? Everything is messed up and they have the solution to it all. Everything is wrong unless they did it, in which case it's right. But they are the constant critic. Do you know what they have abandoned that they don't realize in most cases? Influence. Because when you know that about them, you don't want to give them any of your time. It's the same thing. Anybody know anybody? Again, don't raise your hands, but you know anybody that's a hothead? Anybody know anybody that gets irrationally angry at silly places? Like when Starbucks isn't moving fast enough? Or you get out on the highway and you are just enraged. How dare other people need to go places? <laughs> Don't they all know that this life is a movie about me? And they're playing a bit role. And we lose influence. And we lose power when our power is enslaved to selfishness. But here's the great part, is that God's power is not enslaved to selfishness. I want you to look at this in the life of Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I don't want us to, to miss what we're saying here, is that Jesus' power came through submission, which means this, our hope came through an act of submission. 
If Jesus does not submit to the will and the glory of the Father on the cross, our hope is obliterated. And then even for our own salvation, our salvation, us being saved, also came through an act of submission, submitting to the work and the person of God. See, honoring our parents is where we learn the power of what it means to submit to God. The fifth commandment is us learning to unshackle our power from selfishness. And it sets the stage for us to understand the authority of God and every other authority in our life. And it leads us to a place of joy and freedom that you cannot have without it. And so just real quick, can I address, practically speaking, some ways that you can honor your father and mother? And we're going to do this across some seasons of life for a moment. What does it look like to honor them? The first one is this, give weight to their words. That changes over a lifetime. How you respond to your parents changes. You start out and you see your parents as your caregivers. You're a baby, so you have to learn and you have to grow and they have to instruct you. And there's not a lot of feedback or discussion because you're a tiny idiot. You've met kids. I mean, like, that's a thing. They don't have information yet, right? It's not because they're unintelligent. They don't have the information. And so we start off relating to giving weight to our parents as they are the caregiver. We learn and grow. But then we shift. We go into um, preteen and, and, and teenage years, and they move from being our caregiver to now they're the cops. We have to learn to obey them. We want to make sure that we are honoring them. And that can be hard because we often think that now they're the idiots and that we know more than they do. But remember, this command was given and designed for you to teach to teach you and to honor God. When we are in that season of early life, of preteen and adolescence, we need to give our parents the weight of words as the cops, as the ones keeping us from trouble. They recognize trouble we do not see and out of love direct us in another direction. They shift as you get into late teens and early 20s and, and you, they become coaches. And we want to give them their words weight as a coach. This is where we shift from them giving us commands to them giving us counsel. And so I would tell you this, if you're a 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, and right now your parents are consistently trying to give you counsel and you don't want to hear it, can I just give you an encouragement? Don't roll your eyes. They might actually have some wisdom and experience. They might have earned something along the way that they want to impart to you. Then you grow up and they get into young adulthood and you want to give your parents' words weight as a consultant. The difference between being a coach and being a consultant is that a consultant has to be asked. That means that our kids come to us and go, hey, mom, dad, can I talk to you about something? And can I tell you something amazing about parenting is if you do the early stages well, then it will hold on in the later stages when they are making the biggest decisions of their life. And then it gets to probably one of the hardest places to honor and give weight to their words. It's when your parents actually shift to becoming care receivers. And it can be hard. 
But I tell you, if you want to give weight to their words in that season of your life, and some of you have been through it, and some of you are going through it now, and some of you will go through it, would just simply be this, ask them what they want. You may not always be able to give them what they want, but give them the honor of asking them what they want. And asking is so important. They cared for us, and now it's our turn to care for them. But can I give you a word of warning if you get into that season of your life? They are not kids. They're not. And if we treat them like children, we dishonor them in the process. And when we dishonor them, we fail God's command. So give their words weight. The second thing, express gratefulness for what they've given. Maybe you have the worst parents ever. At the very least, thank them for bringing you into the world. You've at least got that. Or maybe you've got some highlights and you're like, okay, they did some good things. They fed us, clothed us. I can at least thank them for that. Or maybe you had awesome parents. Thank them for that. Can I tell you one of the coolest moments that you can do this is if you are the day before you get married, have your parents, your spouse's parents sit down together and look at them and say, can I tell you all the things that I'm grateful for that has led up to this moment? Make that transition in your life a transition of gratitude. We see so many people that are bawling at funerals. And a lot of that is because of mourning and loss. But I think a lot of times we are crying and devastated because we held back the words that we needed to say when they were alive and now it's too late. So express gratitude. It's so important. Help them feel like they're not forgotten. This is a way that you can honor your father and mother. Call them. Visit Text them. Get one of their grandkids to show them how to text. <laughs> but stay connected with them. When they know they're not forgotten, they'll be honored. And then the last and probably one of the hardest ones is forgive them for their failures. And can I just say this? I'm not asking you to forgive them because they necessarily deserve it. I'm asking you to forgive them because God calls us to it and the person that it sets free is us. Just real quick, how many of you in here, once more time, parents, raise your hand. Come on, up higher. I know more I got kids. How many of you have had parents? Okay, good. Just making sure you're still awake for a minute, okay? Every person that's a parent in this room at some point, no matter how good or bad your parents were, you had this moment where you, did, you said this in your head, oh, when we have kids, uh, these are the things I will never, ever do to my kids that my parents did to me. And you say, I will, I will not screw up my kids that way. And that's true. You found all new ways to screw them up. <laughs> I say that to say this, there's no perfect parents in this room, so maybe, maybe find a little bit, find an ounce of forgiveness, because unforgiveness crimps the hose of God's grace and God's power in our life. Instead, we want to honor them by forgiving them, even if they don't receive it, often it's us that needs it. And it sets us free from the chains of selfishness and anger and bitterness and resentment to experience more and more of what God has for us. I was <clears throat> listening several years ago to a story that a pastor was talking about, and he talked about meeting with a man from his church for lunch. And the man from his church was a surgeon, had a very successful practice, 
Um, but he was filled with pain and wounds and anger and disappointment because his dad always wanted him to grow up to take over the family business. But he didn't want to do the family business. He wanted to become a surgeon. The pastor and this man sat at lunch together and he listened to his story and the pastor said during the entire lunch he never ate a bite of his salad, he just cried into it. He just wanted his dad's blessing so bad. So the pastor looked at him and said, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Cancel everything you've got for the rest of the day and go see your dad. Go talk to him. And he did. And it didn't go great. It was hard for his dad to listen and it was a struggle. A month later, this man, this surgeon, reached out to his pastor again and said, can we have lunch again? I got a letter from dad. And he sat down at lunch and he read this letter. Dear son, I love you more than you'll ever know. I'm so proud of you. Your brilliant mind, your tenacity, your tender loving heart, your determination to go the second, third, or many more miles, as, or as many miles as it takes to make a good marriage. You have a God-like love that never gives up. And son, I want you to look into my heart today. Wherever I go into this world, my heart fills with pride when I say, my son is a doctor, a surgeon. He helps save lives every day. Son, I want you to know that I have felt pain and hurt in my lifetime. The pain of depression, the pain of no hope, the pain of no food, the pain of being a dropout from high school with no one who cares about me, the pain of no help. But the deepest pain that I have ever felt was when I hurt you with stupid, foolish words. Oh, how I've wept when I think of how it hurt you, my son. I weep even now as I write this. Please erase those words. They were not from my heart. Please forgive me and think of me as not only your dad, but your supporter. I know you have forgiven me, but I wanted you to hear my heart cry. Only the guilty need mercy, son. I remember when I saw you and held you and loved you, when you were a little boy in bed one night, you were scared and said, Daddy, are you awake? And I said, yes, son, I'm awake. And you said in a few minutes, Daddy, is your face turned towards me? And I said, yes, it is. And a frightened little boy went to sleep. Son, I want you to know that my face is still towards you. It will never be turned away. Sleep well, my son. Your old daddy will always love you and help you. That's the heart of an imperfect, flawed earthly father. So how much more love do we get from a perfect heavenly father? Our kids need to hear what was in that letter from us. They need to hear that they are loved. They need to hear that we're proud of them. They need to hear that there is some gift, some purpose, some calling God has in their life. They need to feel the love and the tenderness of a heavenly father from their mother and father. Because, and this is where I want to make sure we don't miss at all, church. If your kids don't learn to feel the love that God has from them for you, from you, they may never learn to feel it at all. Statistically, we know this to be true. That if mom and dad do not show the love of God to their kids, statistically, it drops so far 
for those kids to grow up to walk in their own faith. You want to change a world? You want to change a community? You want to change a culture? Start by living for the Lord in our homes. Kids, honor your father and mother and parents. How about we be parents worth honoring? That's our mission. And I don't believe it's small. I don't believe it's insignificant. This isn't just a day of reminding you to do what your parents say. This is a day that reminds us that if we will submit to the authority of an almighty God in our world, it will change everything. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your love, your grace, and your mercy for us. God, I know there are people in this room and They're struggling in relationships, and I just want them to feel the unrelenting, unbelievable, immeasurable love of their Heavenly Father right now. If they've been wounded, God, I want them to know you can heal. If they've been forgotten, I want them to know that you seek them and you found them. If they feel unloved, I want them to know that they are loved. If they feel not worthy of forgiveness, I want them to know that they can be forgiven. God, as parents, as families, I pray that we would take very seriously the role of helping um, our family, our spouse, our kids to walk in obedience to God and believe with all of our heart that that changes everything. God, we believe that it doesn't just change it for one generation. But we believe for generations to come, the world can be different when the people of God do the will of God. We love you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.